Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. This thing right here is for my people's streets. Yes, yes, today. Yes, yes, today. You know, as we start this show, this one might be. There is a pause. Throughout the stadium, as this man sounds like he just coughed up a lung. Just looking around, the jumbotron shows and pans the cheerleaders, and as it goes down each cheerleader's face, each one breaks up into laughter, which at this particular time destroys half the stadium. The other half is still trying to figure out what the hell just happened. Does this guy need? Uh, CPR or something And then at that particular time I lost it <laughs> Devon Brothers Yes, yes, yes Today Phoenix is another place They got a great uh, training staff I mean they, they were able to breathe life back into Shaq And you can do that you know, People talk a lot about their <laughs> training staff love, love. Yes, yes, today you know, as we start this show, this one mic. All right, welcome to RSG One Mic. Uh, before I get into the show, I want to encourage you all to go to realsportsguys.com uh, to check out everything RSG. Uh, we have a lot going on. I think we just had another drop for um, our man, uh, 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 Sekou and, and, uh, and Marcus the Game Changer, um, doing the intersection between uh, hip-hop and sports. Uh, there's a lot going on here, including uh, our most recent podcast, and this podcast will be there as well. If you hear something, you want to hear it again. But, hey, before I get into the show, you know, i got to make sure I welcome my co-host. Uh, let me start with the uh, the youngin' who sounds like he's an El Segundo uh, <laughs> in a hostage camp. So how you doing, Darnell? I feel good. It feels like I'm driving in the um, frozen tundra or something. Um, it's rain everywhere, but I can see. I can talk. So I'm good for right now. As long as we're good on your end, I'm good on mine. So um, it's going to be a great day. Um, but I saw your Wisconsin Badgers. They're not looking too good right now. And I have a question for you. Is it possible for a D-Rodman to win the Heisman? This boy Chase Young, he – this dude is an animal. I don't, I don't know what else to say about him. He is an animal. He's top five. He's top five draft pick without a doubt. Well, we we definitely gonna uh, explore that a little bit later in the show. Uh, it's like that, but tell your hostages we're not giving them any money. They just might as well take you to to, to Tijuana because we ain't gonna help you out. We got none for you. But it, <laughs> you sound like you're being mother. But we love it. You coming through? We can understand. And then we got to bring back in, my man Hank. Hey, how you doing, man? It's raining. It's pouring. The Buckeyes are scoring. 
The Kansas State Wildcats are scoring. This I'm going to let you guys know right now. I love college football, but I must really love you guys a lot more. Because for me to be in the middle of the day and we on the air, with all of this on and all of this, all this college football going on, these 21 and, and, and you know, all these youngins out here, unpredictable, okay, just like the one we got on this show, unpredictable, you know, unpredictable. It, just, it, it just keeps your blood pressure high and keeps your heart rate racing. And I guess I just love it. I, I know, and, you know, uh, Wisconsin uh, took a beat down. It was almost like one of them fights that Darnell likes to talk about. Speaking <laughs> of fights, before we get into football, uh, we're going we're gonna to start out with our, uh, in our open mic segment. We'll about to get in here uh, with uh, my man Darnell. We're going to start with a little bit of boxing moment. We've got a couple of fights things we'll get in before we get back into to football, and we got some other items here in the open mic we're going to do before we get into our, our, uh, our cipher, uh, which is – called All of the Lights. This podcast is called All of the Lights, and you'll understand that song that's out there. Uh, we we, we, we want to we give some, some, some homage to, but it's boxing. So, Darnell, talk to us a little bit what's going on in the boxing game here uh, that, that we should know about. So, man, um, about a day or two ago, I was absolutely frustrated with the sport of boxing because, you know, um, the biggest problem with boxing itself, in my opinion, is we just have way too many belts. It's hard to um, um, but the way the thing is structured, um, you don't always know who is who, and especially for the casual fans that we um talk to and try to bring on to the game, um, they're not gonna be able to follow it with all these um different rules and regulations and the diamond belt, the Mayan belt, the Incan, whatever incontinent, intercontinental, the rock jumping off the top rope belt, um, all of this stuff. I was mad, but then I realized. So, um, Reese Progray and Josh Taylor are fighting this weekend. This fight is a fight that I've been waiting on personally all year long because it's the culmination of the World Boxing Super Series um, tournament. Um, and this is what we need in boxing right here. you got the best of the best in the weight division. They all decide um, to, to get together and decide who is the best. Um, and at the top, at the top of the food chain, at 140, you have – Regis Progray out of New, out of New Orleans, Louisiana. Um, and you have um, um, Josh Taylor out of Scotland. And Josh Taylor, he's a slick guy. He can box. He's kind of tall for the division. Um, a lot of people in the U.K., they refer to him as um, um, the white Terrence Crawford. And to be, um, to be honest with you, I'm trying to understand it because – at, um, he has a, some of the strengths that Terrence Popper has in his skill set, and also he has some of the weaknesses that we, as well as we're going to get into that can um, affect him in this fight because he's a guy just like Terrence Popper. He has a mean streak. He, even though he is um, best suited to box, he's a guy that um, when he gets hit, he wants to get it back. He wants to get that lick back. He might stay in the pocket more than he necessarily needs to, and I think this that might cost him today against the Regis Prograde, a guy that um, – he is slick in his own right, but in, in, the heart, in his heart of hearts, he is a, a power puncher. He's a guy that likes to come forward. He um, he he's a guy, he's a well studied boxer. He um, he um, him, him and his coaches they studied um the old tapes of of Ezra Charles and Archie Moore and the old timers, and so he has a style reminiscent of that. Um, where he he likes to um he has a, a very good head movement and he uh, goes to the body a lot, which I think. 
um, that's going to lead him to victory on today because I think um, the taller um, Josh Taylor, he's going to be in the pocket for too long. And um, the shorter and um, stronger Regis Prograde, he's going to be able to get inside because Taylor's going to let him get inside and he's going to go to the body and wear him down. So I think uh, if I'm picking Prograde by late, by late round stop, it's probably rounds um, 9 through 12. But the other fight, oh, okay, I got I got to hand it off to you because I I, I need to um, know your thoughts on this fight. Well, look, what Parker got me, and I, I think you you might be able to get a little bit more of the boxing analysis. See, this is why I had to put you out on on Twitter and, and, and get my guy uh, Teron Briggs to bring you off the take you <laughs> off the high dive, jump you about to take off out of boxing. Because that analysis was just superb. So this is why we need you to stay in the box again. Don't let them push you out because they don't understand the kiss, uh, the, the kiss uh, framework. Keep it simple, stupid. Don't let them do it. Part of the movement you have to have to get boxing back in order. But this Shakur Stevenson and Gonzalez fight was interesting to me because there's a twist. Stevenson is dating his sister, who is probably one of the most decorated. Uh, uh, female boxers out there uh, that was in the Olympics. They were in the Olympic trials together. Um, and these guys just don't like each other. You know, it's not uncommon for the brother to not like the boyfriend. You know, but it's hard when the boyfriend is probably one, could be arguing was one of the best pound for pound here coming on and whether or not you're going to get some. And, and Gonzalez is coming in there undefeated. You know, at the end of the day, you know, Gonzalez, I believe, is, is, is a great fighter, but Shakir Stevenson is next level. You know, he is that, uh, if you could say, we got a handful of fighters who are going for what I call the real belt, which is the money team belt, which is the Mayweather belt, which is the pound-for-pound belt, which is the one that matters the most. Secure Stevenson is trying to make that happen. What? I think he's doing it, what, 13 fights, 14 fights or whatever, want to be the fastest person to get to it. So I think this is going to be an exciting fight because of the backstory. Now, who is the sister going to walk in with and who is the sister going to walk out with? It's going to be interesting. There could be some family teams up there. There might be more fights out in the audience than in the ring. We could have our kind of rendition or our, uh, of uh, w, w, uh, WWF, WWE, or uh, UFC. So that's what I'm excited about with this fight. Uh, I think Shakir Stevenson is a class above, and I think that's why he's going he's gonna to win, but – uh, this is going to be a great fight. It's not going to be an easy one. All right, man. Uh, one thing I'm about to pick on you for for saying this, but I think the word great is um is thrown around a little too much in the sport of boxing. What has Joe Gonzalez done in his career to be considered a great fighter? He's all right. I mean, he's a, he's a nice little prospect, but he is he's he's going to get dusted off tonight, and I, I can't wait to see it. Well, but see, I think it's just like so it's just like the Michigan Ohio State game. Throw the records out the window. When it's one of these family feud things, he might try to be Rocky Balboa. Don't cut me, Mick. You know that's the kind of fight you can never. When you add that element in, I agree with you. Have the other elements in. That's why I said Shakir is uh, 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 just a class act way above. But when you yeah. add that family element in, it, it adds a whole new Rocky tense to it. It's like. It, it, that's 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 my sister. All kind of other emotions come to this fight, but at the end of the day, I agree with you. You know, Shakir is gonna gonna make it, but that make that backstory makes it an interesting fight. Hey, brother! At the end of the day, um, that that whole um bulletin board material that doesn't work in the sport of boxing. Um, 
because um, what we see in the ring is usually um, a, a physical matchup. Like um, everybody thinks it's, uh, um, everything is physical, but in the sport of boxing, it is 70% mental and 30% physical. So um, if you go in there trying to think, okay, uh, I'm angry at this guy, uh, I'm going to go in there and just um, take three punches to, 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 get, to get in one, it's not going to work out for you, especially when you're outmatched by a, a, a fighter that has much more skill than you and is way too more uh, too way too athletic. That's going to work to um, um Gonzalez's um that's going to work um that's going to work to his detriment. He that's not going to help him in this fight. But he's also been a sparring partner, so he knows his speed. So it's different if you come in. I ain't never seen this guy's speed, but if you've been in that sparring play rings with him, you have a sense of seeing some tendencies. You and I probably agree that Stevens is going to win, but I think there's other elements about this fight that make it unique, even with those conditions you described it. He's firing him, so he, I get a sense of seeing what, where you go, what angles you want, what you like, what you don't like. Plus, I got this other added piece in here, and so I might just get physical with you. Those elements, I think, can make this an interesting fight. At the end of the day, I think here gets the belt, walks away, but if, it, if, it's, if it's a tougher fight, then expect it. What I just told you. Oh, one more thing I want to add on. You um, you said something about um, um, Shakur Stevenson possibly being the youngest champion in the sport of boxing. Um, if he wins tonight, that actually has been derailed because of um, the um, WBC's decision with Vasily Lomachenko because um, because they um, made him the franchise champion and elevated Devin Haney to the full champion. So Devin Haney oh, is the actual right. champion at lightweight. Devin Haney is younger than Shakur Stevenson, so Devin Haney is now the youngest um, um, champion in sports, because, even if um, Shakur wins. See, now I'm with you, man. That's that's some craziness. Boxing crazy. That's technical. We can't even right. talk that. It's got to be an aspect to that. He ain't earn it. He's got to give yeah, it. And oh, come on. I'm not, mad at, I'm not mad at Lomachenko for it because he's the guy, he's the guy that I think will fight him in the long run, but I think, uh, and I think it's too early to say that he necessarily ducked Devin Haney, but um, because I want to see it play out. But um, it's a it's a kind of fishy look because um, Lomachenko, his manager Igor Klimas, Bob Arum, they were all at the WBC convention. So um, in order for them to um, bestow this on him to say, okay, he's the franchise champion, he's no longer the WBC champion. Um, he must, they must have had some sort of conversation behind the scenes saying that, okay, we're not going to fight Devin Haney in the near future. So um, even though he didn't, that's the that's the big downside of the of being appointed the champion instead of actually winning in the ring. Because if Devin Haney was able to um, beat Lomachenko in the ring, that would do a lot for his um, status and his um, popularity within the sport. So just him being bestowed on um, bestowed with the belt. Um, him being given the belt, that kind of takes away um, a little bit of his luster and um, a piece of his legacy. Imagine if um, Muhammad Ali, um, <coughs> imagine if um, instead of him beating uh, Sonny Liston when he was um, a young fighter, if he instead of him beating Sonny Liston, one of Sonny, Sonny Liston was given the franchise championship because he didn't want to fight Muhammad Ali. And Ali was given the championship. He never got that satisfaction of beating the Sonny Liston. Would we be looking at him the exact same way if he, if he never got to fight the Joe Frazier's? He never got to fight the um, George Foreman's. Would we be able to look at um, the big legends of the game the same way if they never were given the opportunity to prove themselves? That's my issue. 
those those are really good points, and uh, we love this. Uh, that that was a boxing a boxing moment with Darnell. This is why we got to keep the youngin' in the game uh, because he's just dropping all these gems. But hey, speaking of gems and throwing gems, we got the World Series, and you know what that means. We got to bring a little bit inside the the park in and get some elements with Hank. Uh, Washington's come out and beat two Cy Young contenders right off the bat down in Houston, you know, uh, and then we turn around, you know, uh, Washington hasn't had a uh, World Series game since the Senators way back, I think, with 1931. Uh, you know, I've watched more baseball this year I think I probably have in the in the past five or six years uh, here in the past month. And so uh, the game has been interesting. Uh, Hank, I just want to give your observations of what we've seen so far um, here in the World Series. Listen, you know, the one thing is Washington kind of fell under the radar this year. You know, after the, they, they got off to a horrific start, okay? And I, for one, on, on one of the podcasts earlier in the year, I had buried them. And they started to play some of the best baseball throughout the rest of the year. In fact, they had the best record in baseball, I think, after after May. They just they just went nuts, okay? It looked like they were, again, it looked like they, they, were, they were dead and buried. Then they took off and then just went, went crazy, okay, started playing some great baseball. The Astros, we know, you know, it, it, it just didn't appear that the Astros, that anybody was going to be able to hang with the Astros because of that rotation, that, that starting pitching rotation. When you, you know, you, you, look, you look at, you got Verlander, you got Garrick, you got, you know, um, uh, Greinke last night, you know, to, to, to basically save the season, you know, uh, this is this is this is going to be one of those those series, like you said. But you got to look at the Nationals. The Nationals, you know, they got a gift by your Brewers, you know, in the in the uh, wild card game, in which you know they 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 should have lost that game, but the right fielder for the Brewers made that blunder, cost them cost them that one game. Then they went out and um, they did the they did the unthinkable. Okay, they did the unthinkable by being the mighty Dodgers. All right, which makes it, which, which is another story of what's going on with, with them. But now they get out here and they're in the World Series. Now, obviously, the fans is all jacked up. This is the first time, you know, getting to the World Series, like you said, since the days of the Senators. But they're going against this mighty Astro team, and then they put a whooping on them down in Houston. And let me tell you that it wasn't a fluke, okay? It wasn't a fluke at all. Garrett Wood was, 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 pitching, his, was pitching lights out. But, you know, Max Scherzer, you know, another Detroit Tiger picture, <laughs> ex-Detroit Tiger picture, should I say? You know, he held him in there. Max had a he just he just had which you just uh, just a beast sort of start because Houston hitters, you know, are very disciplined hitters. Uh, they and, and they they had Max going well over 100 pitches way before he wanted to, but they could not get to that that bullpen in time, and they win. They they steal game one, four to three. Okay. Then they come back in game two, and they just absolutely blitzkrieg, you know, Justin Verlander and their pitching staff, you know. And, I mean, they, they are, they've got a very relentless offense, and I would say very underrated offense because when you look at teams like the Yankees, look at teams like Houston, look at teams like the Dodgers, the uh, Nationals were overlooked. And, like I said, the performance yesterday – Save the series, I think, for for Houston. You go down three and zero, it's pretty much done, in my opinion. But this is not over yet, okay? The thing is about the Astros is they are a relentless team, okay? And they're going to keep coming at you. I fully expect this thing to go back to Houston Tide, 
I, I really do, because that that's the kind of resolve that the Astros have. Um, I still think the Astros are going to win this series. I picked them to win the series, you know, from the start because of their starting pitching. Um, and now they've got a chance to see what the Nationals got to offer. But this, this is going to be a very exciting series. I, by under no circumstances are the, are, are the Nationals going away. I expect this now to go seven games because this this is this is a heavyweight fight. I don't think that we really anticipated on the baseball side. We thought we was going to probably see the classics, the Dodgers, and maybe the Yankees. You know, which everybody would have loved to see. I know TV would have loved to see that. You know, or you would like to see the Yankees and the Washington, or the Astros and 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 the Dodgers again. You know, this is not one that everybody anticipated, but this got this really has all the makings of being a very exciting series. Again, Washington has shown they have a very potent offense, and we know about the starting pitching of um, the Houston Astros. And we also know about Altuve. We know about Springer and all those guys that be that, that hit those those. Um, Mammoth shots, you know, right right at clutch time, just as Altuve did to eliminate the Yankees. So this is going to be a fun series. Uh, it's been one that I've been watching, too, you know, with the same game, too, because that really was a wipeout real early. But this is going to be something that, you know, it's going to be exciting baseball. And, and uh, you uh, it cracked me up about the Tiger thing, because uh, Jeff Seidel uh, wrote an article on October 22nd, World Series will be painful uh, to watch for Detroit Tigers fans with Anibal Sanchez, uh, exactly, uh, uh, Verlander, <laughs> uh, and, uh, uh, and Max Scherzer. And, uh, uh, and Max Scherzer. So I mean, you just you, when you think about what the Tigers had and what they had going, and, and you see that you know basically the, the Tigers, you know, were doing what the the, the Astros were doing, you know, in the in the North, uh, but couldn't finish the deal. So. You know, let me, you, it's funny you brought that up because I did a little research before the show, and let me just tell you that in the last two years, the last two years, uh, ex-Detroit Tiger players have been, you know, integral parts in other teams um, getting getting uh, playoff pushes and playoff bounces. I want you. I, I don't want uh, folks out there to forget that just last season. The World Series champion, the Boston Red Sox, had two ex-Tigers on him, and Rick Porcello, who ended up being, oh, by the way, a Cy Young Award winner, and they also had J.D. Martinez, okay, um, on on that team. They won a World Championship last year. We know about Justin Verlander and Max Scherzer, and we know now Anibal Sanchez has resurrected his career now with the Washington Nationals. But there's other players, like a Shane Green or uh, uh, Nick Castellanos that was taken to the Cubs, that got the Cubs to start to push a little bit. They really didn't make it. But those players show a lot of worth. When you think about the fact that those players that I just mentioned, as well as players like B.J. Upton, players like Ian Kinsler, were all on the Detroit Tigers team at the same time. At the same time, you had Max Scherzer, Justin Verlander, Rick Porcello, all on that coaching, all on that pitching rotation at the same time, guys. At the same time. And yet they could not punch through. It really has to make you question the the Detroit Tigers organization, the Detroit Tiger franchise, in and of itself, how in the world did you have this kind of talent that was that that going back to the 1994 Montreal Expos? You cannot tell me about team they had that collection of talent and could not win a World Series. And that was the thing about this team that just with that grind the Tiger fans and the Tiger fan base that will haunt them now for years to come. And oh by the way, on that team you had your triple crown winner. 
by the name of Miguel Cabrera, who's still down there a shell of himself. But it just kind of drives you absolutely batty to think about the fact that during this team's heyday and during the time that Jim Leland decided to retire, that they wasted four years on Brad Osmus, who, oh, by the way, just got fired after one year with the with the, um, with the the uh, Angels in, in, in place of Joe Madden, who, oh, by the way, won uh, a championship with the Cubs for the first time in 108 years for that franchise. To let you know how teams who try to win that try to make moves. It is just deplorable. I'm, yeah, I know I'm ranting about this one, because, but you brought it up, so it's your fault. But you know what? This is what drives baseball fans, the Joy Tiger baseball fans, absolutely nuts to just realize that this is the kind of talent that you have on one roster, that bits and pieces can go to other rosters and make them playoff contenders. The fact that you couldn't do it and you had them all at once is just absolutely unacceptable, inexcusable, and just downright wrong. I tell you, and speaking of bad moves by front offices, uh, the Houston Astros front office, uh, one of their assistant GMs, created a firestorm uh, uh, right before the series. Do you think do you think that caused a fog? Because if you think about it, I mean, uh, I mean, they're starting two dominant pitchers who just it uh, it uh, who you know have gotten beaten in ways they had got beaten in months. And how do you think? Uh, the, the 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 storm before that series affected them in the first couple of games, or you just think the the Nationals just did what they had to do? No, see, here's the thing: you have to look at the totality of it. So, for example, you start talking about what the Nationals did in game one. Okay, that was a very well pitched uh, uh, a game. All right, the Nationals failed their pitching staff in that game. Okay, they did not score. They had many score positions. They did not come up with the clutch hit. Okay, I don't. I, I at, at this stage of the game, and you know this. Okay, and we're talking about professional athletes. All right, there's always going to be distractions. I don't think that had anything to do with it. Now, game two, you have to look at Jay, you got to look at Justin Verlander. You get to look at Justin Verlander's last three ball games. They have not been good. Okay, Justin Verlander was asked by his manager to close out their first series, um, and, and he failed. He failed miserably. He he, they, they, he he got crushed in that game, and he had to go back and win. All right? I think that was against Cleveland. All right? He was asked to close out that series and, and failed on that. All right? Then you look at they asked him again to close out the Yankees, okay, before that game five, where Altuve's heroics, they asked him to close out the Yankees to get to the World Series. He failed again. Okay? And then... They asked him to go ahead and even a series against the Nationals at home, and he failed monumentally. You have to look at what's going on with Justin Verlander right now. Is he telegraphing his pitches? Is he overthrowing? And see, this is something that we've seen before with him in the playoffs. That the further in the playoffs he gets, he starts to waver. He starts. He starts. He starts to uh, become human. In those first few rounds, he's almost invincible, but the further in the playoffs he gets, all of a sudden you start to figure him out. I'm starting to see that pattern again with him. But you don't see that with Zach Grinke. You definitely won't see that with Gary Ward. You won't see that with those guys because, uh, the, like I said, those games was well pitched, okay? The game that's an apparition or the game that, that, that sets out is the Justin Verlander pitch game, and they've got to get JV right if they're going to beat the Nationals. But the thing is, again, they, they've, they've got enough starting staff, but if J.V. turns into the J.V. that I've seen, where he just all of a sudden falls apart, I won't say falls apart, but he starts to be figured out later, a series going, then that's, again, is going to be intriguing. But just go back and watch his last three games. 
and the last two were closeout games, and he failed. He failed, and he really dropped the ball and kicked it out of bounds in Game Two of the World Series. But to answer your question, no, I well, don't I, think I don't I don't think the firestorm uh, had anything to do with what's going on on the field. I think those guys are focused, ready. Um, they've been here before, and the playoffs is the playoffs. The World Series is the World Series, you know, and it's a series. So, you know, it's it's not like one game and it can throw you off. You can figure it out, get adjusted in baseball, and come back and, and get it right. And that's exactly what the that's exactly what um, uh, the Astros did yesterday on the road in a hostile environment um, with the series on the line, uh, and, and and they got it done. So I I I don't think that's the case at all. Are right, you listening to uh, the inside the park segment here with uh, with Hank? Um, we're talking a little bit of World Series uh, 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 baseball and, and, and just going on right here. Uh, the most uh, pleasant surprise, not really a surprise, uh, was able to probably take his first drink last night. Uh, but he has an old spirit, and I would say in a new school body. That that guy wants uh, Soto is something else, and the stuff he does, the gestures he'll, he'll deliver towards the mound. But the bottom line is that young man knows how to swing a bat. Uh, oh my God! What has been your impression of somebody? Given he's in D.C., uh, urban environment, visible, uh, learning English, uh, just turned 21 yesterday. Uh, what has it been like for you, as someone who loves baseball, to watch this young man uh, compete? It's a joy because, it, first of all, it's always fun to just see raw talent. And see, the thing is about it, and 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 I mean this in the most kindest way when I say this, okay? It is sometimes nice to have youth and to be what I would call blissfully ignorant. Let me explain what I mean, okay? I saw him hit a home run in game one that the pitcher put the ball right where he wanted to put it. Outside, you know, out of his power alley, okay, to try to try to get him to pull an outside pitch and pop it up, Okay. He went with the pitch and hit the ball 400 feet, okay? And, and, and then he got another opportunity. This is in the World Series. And, uh, again, he hit the double, put the Nationals up for, the, for, for good in that game. What I like about him is when I say blissfully ignorant is that sometimes you, you, you're in the game so long, you, you're studying so much, you're thinking so much about the plate that it, it comes right down to, okay, I'm looking for the curveball, but he might throw me the fastball. But if he throw me the fastball, i gotta kind of, I got to gotta fight that one off because it's 99 miles per hour. But if he comes with the change, he's coming from the same arm slot. So i got to be he don't That's not the case with this young man. If you put it out there and I see it, I'm going to hit that sucker as far as I can and wherever I can. If he's on the outside part of the plate, his eye is quick enough and he's fast enough to adjust to that and hit the ball where it's pitched. That's what makes it fun because, like you said, he can just straight up rake, okay? There's no guesswork. And the thing is about it is you might fool him the first time. He kind of reminds me of a young Cabrera in that regard. Well, you might fool you, but I'm going to keep that in the back of my mind of what you did to me so that when you try to do it again, I'm going to hurt you with it. That's what you see with this young man. That's what I see with Soto. And, that's, and with the power that he has to the opposite field, and I'm talking about power to the opposite field. I'm just, just, just unreal. No doubter. Power. It's, it's kind of fun to watch. You know, that's what, that's, like, that's what I see with him. He just, and he, I mean, he, everything he hits is with authority. So, yeah, it, as a baseball fan, it reminds me of, 
the World Series that he has right, having right now remind me of several years ago, and they talked about it a little bit in the broadcast of Andrew Jones when he uh, played with the Atlanta Braves in home runs his first two at-bats. Like I said, that blissful ignorance of not knowing how big uh, the moment is and staying within yourself and just doing what you do. Yeah, it's fun to watch. Yeah, you, I mean, you hit it right on, and uh, I love it. And we'll keep tracking uh, uh, the the World Series. Uh, you can hear more things with Inside the Park. You go to realsportsguys.com. You can also catch uh, our other stuff, uh, a boxing moment with Darnell as well there in our other podcast. Uh, this has uh, been a great uh, segment and a great discussion uh, that we are having here, and I'm, I'm having so much fun uh, with the work that we're doing right now here on the show. Uh, one of the things we're going to do is, you know, we always try to take our time to hear to uh, to get into the cipher. Uh, you know, this is our this is our our, our time when we get to the heart of the show. Uh, uh, the cipher is called all uh, all of the lights, and we'll we'll be getting that cipher uh, uh, here when we come back to the show here in the next couple of minutes. Kevin Durant, they put them to six games. 
Now you add a um, now you add a Kawhi Leonard, a go-to scorer that you can have um, on the starting lineup, and, and you can bring um, Lou Williams off the bench, and you have great defenders around them. That's a recipe for success. I can't even. I'm scared. I'm scared to see what's going to happen when Paul George comes back because that um, early success that Anthony Davis was having in that game, um, Paul George will be on him, and I'm comfortable with Paul George guarding Anthony Davis. So I think it's going to be tonight. I think it's going to be cur- um, curtains for the Lakers. You said this was just like a one-on-one punch knockout. <laughs> you said that was an over-the-top bolo punch they're not going to recover from. That they basically just marked their space in the, in the Staples Arena, and they allowed the Lakers to rent it out tonight that they're not there. <laughs> yep. God, you covered that. I'm with you on that. All right. Hank, what did we learn, man? I think what you learned is that the NBA knows how to put on a show. NBA knows how to promote itself. That's what you learn. You learn that you know what we're going. We're going to keep everything right here, and the storylines y'all been hearing all season long. We're going to put it right out there in front for everybody to see, and this is how we're going to kick off our season. What I learned is that the NBA knows how to play. Stay tuned. You know, I took the opportunity while y'all was talking. I said, "Remember, we had the conversation." I said, "Let I, be prepared." I said, "Just know that the Lakers and the Clippers are going to be playing on Christmas Day, all right?" And sure enough, the Lakers and the Clippers are playing on Christmas Day. Should be no surprise to anybody, you know. And so, what I learned is this is this is just Act One of this. Okay, this is something we're going to be seeing all year. All right. But I think that what they've done is they've given you the prequel, okay? They've given you what you need to be looking out for for the rest of the year, and then what you're going to see is really what what these teams look like barring injury right around Christmas time, okay? And I, 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 I'm with the youngin on this one. I didn't learn anything as far as what we see. I think we saw what we thought we was going to see, Um but I think that after some games under their belts, especially with LeBron James, which I know he's a physical specimen, I know, but injury has plagued him the last couple of years. We know that Anthony Davis, uh, the brow, you know, missed a significant time last year. And this is where I think the Clippers really have an advantage over the Lakers, and that's, with, and, that, and, that's and that's that use piece a little bit. And plus the claws coming into his own. But my thing is uh, – this is what we're going to see. This, this is this is what I'm saying. We saw we saw the NBA promote itself. It's like we're going to keep you intrigued with this all year long, and we're going to really give y'all a gift on Christmas Day. And we're going to see what these teams are going to look like. I said, and and you just got to become praying men and women and say nobody gets hurt, so we can see them once they've really gotten into the throes of the season and see what these teams really are. We already know about the talent. Everybody who who's you're not you don't even have to be a, a NBA fan that much and not know what really was going on, you know. So um, this, like I said, this is this is a state tune is what I learned. Uh, and I would say that uh, I learned that this is what y'all said. The Clippers, the Clippers were a plug and play team. You know, I think yes, Kawhi and George take them to another level, but they're starting with a real solid foundation with folks who already got a locker room already got continuity, already know their roles uh, in a way that allows for them to fast start in a way, um, whereas the, the Lakers are pretty much an overhaul. And um, I think we'll know more about them as the season goes. I think it's important to figure out what Kuzma's going to be as a piece, uh, Rondo coming in, 
there are other guys on their team who are trying to find their roles, Danny Green and some of the other cats, um, in terms of what they would do, how their rotations are to go. So I think it's going to take the Lakers a little longer to find their stride. So I'm, I'm, I'm pretty much like don't get too caught up uh, right now. Uh, Kawhi Leonard is, is a beast. He is a cyborg. We already know that. You didn't have to be told that on Monday night. Um, uh, but I think they're closer than the game presented. Uh, but I think the Lakers just have more work to figure out than the Clippers do. Um, and, but I think as they figure it out, um, even the, the adjustment they made in the next game where they moved uh, uh, AD to the five, they went on a run against Utah. And everybody says Utah is this and that. They went on a run moving, moving AD to the five, finding the lineup. So they're in a discovery phase that I don't think the Clippers are that much in, that they have clear roles. And the one thing I learned is, uh, is, 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 is that my boy Patrick Beverly is the lost Grimlin. You know that cat that in the Grimlins that had that little brow was always, always smiling and causing havoc in the Grimlins? Patrick Beverly is that dude. Patrick Beverly is about I'm only here for destruction. I love him. This is my favorite cat. Uh, I can watch him. He's must-see TV. And speaking of that, did the Clippers play Marlowe from the wire and tell the Warriors to close their eyes? This won't hurt like he did, like 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 he did uh, prop Joe, because sure. they body bag Golden State in their home opener to Chase Arena, beautiful arena. The Clippers came in there and straight body bagging. I had, I had I had a tweet where I, I described Steph Curry as Bodie Bodie brought us uh, uh, when uh, Avon went to jail. He was trying to hold them corners down. He had nobody with him, and Marlowe then was taking over the corners. Steph had his back against the wall, no help. That was Steph. They were they had Steph cornered. They had him surrounded. They were making him pay for everything that Golden State had done over the past five years. What I don't know if you had a chance to see that game, but oh yeah, I saw it. I definitely saw it. What, what were your, what was, was it? Was it? Was it? Was it? What did you think about Golden State, and, and what did you think about that game? Well, what I felt about it was. I felt like KRS. The bridge is over. The bridge is over. <laughs> Golden Gate Bridge is over. And um, <laughs> the the highlight that stuck out was the very first, the very first like two minutes of the game. Steph Curry tried to run the ball court. Patrick Beverly ripped it clean. And you can hear him. You can hear him through the TV yell out, "Cookies, give me that." <laughs> it was over. It was over from that point. It was over from that point on. They didn't want nothing. They, it was just, the Warriors went a good three or four minutes without scoring a single point, and the D'Angelo Russell kind of went crazy. He 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 dropped ten straight points to get them on the get them back into the game. But that's what the Clippers can do to people. And one thing I forgot to say about the Clippers with the Lakers that ties into this is. The Clippers just have guys that they play harder than other people want to play. Like that, that troubles yes. me with um, these matchups. Like with a, with like LeBron James in the seventeenth season. You know, you have Anthony Davis, which is even more of a finesse player. You got guys like Montrezl Harrell. You, know, you got guys like um, Patrick Beverly. These guys are gonna dive on the floor when you got when you don't want to risk getting hurt, you know, especially the first game of the season. But you know, Patrick Beverly, he's gonna dive on that ball. So um, they get those fifty fifty balls. They get to the rebounds um, that um, are pivotal points in close in close games. So I think um, 
that that sets the Clippers apart from other teams. Like, uh, uh, um, other than obviously their um, their pitch. Yeah, I agree. Other than this play, I think the hustle plays are a big factor in their success. That is that's funny. You right. You said yeah. That's right. He rips. He rips stuff and cookies. That's a playground right there. He took his cookies for y'all young people on the playground. That's a playground thing when you get ripped. They took your cookies. He tells Steph he yelled out cookies. I love it. That is so Patrick Beverly, man. I gotta love it. You you have summed this up. I don't know if you had a chance to watch it, Hank, or the, or the highlights, man. It, it, somebody should call the police. It, 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 it was an armed robbery. It was battery uh, over there in the Chase Center. It, it, it was. But the thing is about it is, is like the, the arena was beautiful, okay? The name on the jersey said, you know, the Golden State Warriors. But this isn't your, 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 your father's Warriors, okay? This isn't your uncle's Warriors. Hell, this isn't even your brother's Warriors, okay? This is a team right now that's got to find their identity, okay? Some of the faces and some of the names look the same, okay, but the identities have been changed to protect the innocent. This is not the same team, okay? Y'all might as well face the fact this is not a Warriors team that's going to scare anybody, Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, you you got shells, and, and, and this is what we, you know, if you pay attention in the NBA, you've heard me say many times uh, that at some point you get to a, you get to a point where there's no more big games, okay? There's no more big games for Draymond Green. There's no more big games for uh, Steph Curry. There's no more big games for, for Steve Kerr, okay? This, you know, Curry is out. Okay, this is not this 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 team will, will will be Warriors in name only. All right, so I'm not surprised you've got a hungry Clippers team that's trying to establish themselves as a new king on the block in the West. Okay, they're going to go into this new arena. I would be geek too, and we're going to try to blow your doors off, which is exactly what we saw. But if you're Steph Curry, if you're Jordan Murray, how are you getting up? Okay, to play. In this new, I mean, how big is this game for you, really? Okay, in the grand scheme of 82 games, this team, this is to say, some of these players won 73 ball games, right? Some of these players have won championships. Some of these players have been in. And here's a new season. All right, it gets to the point where I'm gonna come in, punch in, do my job, take my first break, do some more work, take my lunch. Do some more work, take my second break, do some more work, punch out and go home. What happened in between all that? I don't have the slightest idea. That's what I'm saying <laughs> with these with, with, with these uh, warriors now. All right, it, it, it's going to be tough. I, I'm going to I'm going to make a bold prediction right now. I don't think they make the playoffs this year. I don't think they make the playoffs what? this year. I, I I I think it may be rebuild time for this team. I don't think they make the playoffs this year. You got too many hungry teams in the West. That um, that 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 uh, see an opening, in my opinion, and it's going to be hard for this team. It's going to be mentally hard for this team. You're going to start to see injuries where guys stay out a little longer than they should have, because again, when you get to that point where there's no big games, there's just no big games. Not saying they're not going to give it every effort, but you're going to see. You, this, this is kind of what happens to these teams with the end of of a dynasty, the end of an era. It's ugly. And this is going to probably, in my opinion, it's going to be an ugly year for them. 
Well, hey, you're not the only one who said that about the playoffs. Charles Barkley, the exchange, that was the icing on the cake. Well, he told Clay, because Clay was, uh, they had him on the set, and he was, you know, talking about, you know, his recovery and that they still believe they got a window. And Charles basically said, your window was clo- your window's closed. And I've never heard somebody on set say that to somebody. And the look on Clay's face, because he had no rebuttal for it. It was the most awkward moment. Kenny looked un- Kenny looked uncomfortable. <laughs> Kenny looked so uncomfortable on it. But Charles was basically like, "Yo, window is closed. So y'all might not make the playoffs this year." I mean, I mean, I mean, that was basically the tone of it. And I was like, "Man, everybody." That's why I was. That's why I thought about the Brody Broaders. The the when he when Slim Charles said things don't change. That was the moment. Things don't change. You better get off this block. And Bodie went get off the block. So they came over and tightened him up. That was the end of Bodie. And I think that's what we, what we see in the Golden State, man. And it, it, it's crazy. So we're going to stay tuned. We're going to watch it. I believe they're going to try to make a move. I think the way they got punked that night, I think GM uh, Myers is already working. They're going to make some moves. I got a feeling they're going to try and make some moves. I don't know what moves they can make. But I got a feeling they're going to try and make some moves uh, because they, they, they're also a proud organization. They got a new arena. And they know they can't ride Steph. Steph's going to need more help or he's going to be injured quick. So we'll, we'll see how that goes out. The Greek feet, Creek and uh, the Bucks go down there and do it with Harden and Westbrook, and everybody trying to figure out what the, how the Harden and Westbrook experience is going to work, whether or not the Greek Freak added a little J to his game. Uh, Milwaukee got the victory. It was, it, it was a good game. But I don't know if you guys had a chance to see that. Uh, but, you know, I thought, I thought I saw some promise with the Westbrook-Harden uh, matchup. I thought they – I think they uh, – they, you know, they're always going to get extra possessions because uh, of the way they play. But I think uh, Westbrook uh, does something that Chris Paul couldn't do. He can rebound and get the brunt, get the break. He can get extra possessions. He can speed the game up the way he wants to. So I see some possibilities with that. I don't know how it's going to end. Uh, but the Greek freak who struggled early uh, and fouled out, but the Bucks found a way to win there at the end. Did y'all have a chance to check that game out? Did y'all learn anything? Let me start. I, I think that what I saw there, I think that, uh, again, when you, when you look at early in the season, um, I, I think that when you're looking at the Harden-Westbrook uh, thing, that's just, that's going to work itself out. Okay, I, when you go back, when you go back, I, when I look at those two players, I go back to when they played uh, at Oklahoma City together, okay? And where you had the riff actually was between – uh, KD and Westbrook, not 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 Westbrook and Harden. Okay, in fact, it was because of, of uh, Westbrook that, you, that all of a sudden people started to realize what kind of player Harden really was. Okay, he got him to rock, you know, in places where he could really flourish. I think that's going to be fine. That that doesn't bug me at all. As always with Houston, is what, 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 what drives me just just crazy. Is sometimes it's just their offense that they play. Sometimes you know they they they're going to keep they're going to shoot themselves into a game and shoot themselves right back out of a game. As far as the Greek freak, um, did he get any help? You know, uh, <laughs> did he get any help this year? You know, so they can get to the next level. Uh, I'm glad he's he's expanding his game, but I think he needs a a, a solid number two. You know, in in, in the East. Um, because uh, I watched him play uh, against Boston, and again, you know, didn't look too 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 solid yet. But again, early in the year, early in the year, we, we, 
keep an eye on that. Yeah, I, I agree. Before I go to Darnell, I, I, I agree with the Greek freak. You know, the way they're playing is fool's goal. It's kind of like I was to say all the way with the, the Gary Payton Sonics. You know, they're going to win 50, 60 games with that style of play uh, just because, you know, they're catching, you know, at that point Sacramento coming off a double a back-to-back or, you know, they're catching the Lakers. You know, just the the way the in the flow, ebb and flow of a, a regular season. But is it the style when somebody can just spend time developing a game plan against you can that play out? And that, until he starts to play off the ball, until they don't just run ISO with him up top, which great defensive teams will load and force him to uh, uh, get a ball up and, and really reduce his offense uh, in those kind of series, I, I got to see him uh, score in different ways besides, you know, catching at the post, the top, uh, uh, at the elbow and working from there or, you know, just driving downhill. So I think those are things that I still see. Um, that I think will have problems against elite teams across the league, but especially against Boston and Philadelphia. All right, uh, going to uh, Darnell, what's your what's your what's your uh, uh, opinion on this stuff? All right, so I I saw the very end of this game because they played on Thursday, and we had the last game for our season on Thursday, so we had to deal with people turning their jerseys, turning in their pads. So I got home late on Thursday night, but um. I saw the very end of it, but my opinion on what what the new look Rockets, uh, what the Russell Westbrook and James Harden marriage does for, does for the team, is pretty much what you guys said as far as um, he adds to what they do as far as a regular season um, style of play because even though Russell Westbrook doesn't necessarily shoot the three very well, I think he 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 um is going to even add to um the way they play because they're going to run and gun. He, um, it's almost like watching a high school team where um, after every rebound, they, they, they just run up and down the court, up and down the court because they have two guards that yeah. can push it, and um, and Westbrook is going to be the most athletic player on the court, and he can get his own rebound and just take it all the way coast to coast or throw a lob to compel it. So I think he uh, he really helps them in the, in the regular season. I think they're going to be – have a top two or three seed in the West, but come playoff time, um, I don't know how it's going to work in the half court set because you know in the playoffs, when the playoffs come, you're going to have to play, the game's going to slow down at some point, and you're going to have to figure out how you're going to, um, what are you going to do when they stop your plan A? Because you know what they're going to do is, um, they're going to key in on West, uh, they're going to key on the Harden. And Westbrook's going to have to hit his open shot. So if, if he, he he's a player that he's hot and cold, so I don't know how it's going to work in the playoffs. But they need another guy that they can they can um that that'll help them in, in like half court sets. I think that'll be something that they need if they want to win a championship. But if they want to get regular season wins, I think they're set. But um, Milwaukee, I think Milwaukee is really good, and I think they have a chance. But I, honestly, in the East, I think Philly is going to be the team to beat because they're looking really good. They're very long, and that's going to be the kryptonite for uh, for Giannis is because they have size everywhere. They're going to play Simmons, Embiid, and Horford at the same time. You have Matisse Thybulle, which is looking – he's a rookie that's looking very good on the defensive end of the, of the court. So um, I think it's going to be very hard for him to just um, 
put his head down and check the basket because they're going to be ready for it. So the shooters, they got to be ready, even though the Sixers, they have lit, so they're going to be able to close out very well. So I think the Sixers are going to be a bad matchup for them. So I think the Sixers should come out the East, but um, the the Bucks are in good shape. I think it's great analysis, and uh, I'm going to keep going, I think, uh, with you uh, a little bit, Darnell. I'll come back to to Hank. Was there anything that surprised you uh, in the first week of the NBA season? Anything that surprised me? Um, Shoot, DeAndre Ayton testing positive for some kind of of banned substance. This is supposed to be his house back – it's supposed to be his, you know, the second year. So we're going to see his improvement after his rookie season. Um, but mm-hmm. he, he got to sit out for the first quarter of the season, first 25 games. So um, that's a real bummer. You, of course, you got Zion Williamson with his knee situation, which, of course, of course with the size, you can't be too surprised. But it's a, it's a, it's a very, it's a, it's a big bummer. But. Oh, as far as I don't want to be too negative, but uh, a pleasant surprise for me is Trey Young. Trey Young, he absolutely balled out. He's looking at the, he's looking like the second coming of Stephen Curry, and um, mm-hmm. I think Atlanta's going to be my lead pass team for this year. Okay, okay, that, that's a good observation. Hank, anything surprised you early on? I don't, not, not really. To me, it's too, it's too early. Okay, um, if you if you ask me on a local level. Uh, I was surprised at how the Pistons looked against Indiana on the road uh, in the first game, and then they came back to earth real fast. But outside of that, <laughs> you know, um, it, it, it was it was it's, it's too early for me. Uh, I, again, I think I wasn't surprised, but more or less disappointed in that Ayrton, um being suspended and and Zion not starting the season. You know, he was so much hype. You know, in the off season. Uh, for, for him not to play, you know, it, that that to me was, was a little bit disappointing. Um, I, like I said, the NBA did what he was supposed to do. I guess you could also – I guess I was a little bit disappointed but not surprised uh, with um, the Warriors. And, and just and to me, you just you just don't see the smoke with them, okay? I mean, they, they, they that, that, that's, that's a little bit disappointing. Because they have been that team for so long, and it's a shame to watch a great team uh, and, and a great story uh, end its run and then just like like fizzle out like 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 it is. Um, one thing we haven't talked about because it's an incomplete story, um, but I'm going to keep. I would like to keep my eyes on is the is the Brooklyn Nets, and that's because you know they're playing now. Um, they 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 got Kyrie there. Uh, we know they're incomplete because KD is not going to play this year. But what do they look like? You know, and 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 are they? Is Kyrie playing with more with, with more with more fire now because he's out of Boston? And, and and what does he look like? And and it's going to just be intriguing to see what that team looks like this year versus when KD comes back next year. Um, so that that's one thing I guess I'm keeping an eye out for. And I would say I've I've loved the first two games of Kyrie in Brooklyn, like the emotional. I think it's finally you can see him being himself. In some senses, I think he's benefiting from what I call the uh, he's got the he's got the LeBron thing going, meaning that he's able to go home. I think there's something different 
about playing for your home team. I just think his demeanor, the way he worked, he, he went for 50 in the first game they lost. But uh, that the Battle of New York, uh, he put he put R.J. in the blender and, 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 and made him look like a taller version of Steph Curry when he, he dropped that shot on him. You know, I just love the energy. And the players, seem to, his, his engagement with his teammates seem to be happy, the moment with his dad. Uh, I think, I think uh, it's interesting to see how this thing is coming out. And I also think KD being there on the side, talking, being that comfort place, I think it's adding a little bit more to this as well. I think KD's doing a lot behind the scenes uh, with that. So that Brooklyn story is something to watch. I think the, the thing, two things that surprised me, they're actually two people in the same game uh, last night. Uh, one is uh, uh, Brandon Ingram. Brandon Ingram, I, you know, coming off of uh, all the medical issues he had towards the end of the season last year, uh, last night, even the loss, he had 25 points, um, you know, 10, 10 for 20 from the field. But the aggressiveness, the Brandon Ingram, I think people were hoping to see when he came out of, of, of college. Um, I just love, I think, that change of environment, being in that space, I think has been good for all those ex-Lakers in a number of ways. But I just think this kid is going to work into his own uh, out there. And then Luca. Conscious. I think, uh, and we'll talk about MVP candidate. He got a triple double last night. I mean, he putting people on skates. He falling out. He got so much level of confidence. I, I think this, you know, people didn't have Dallas, uh, you know, probably you know in that those late spots. But I think the way he's playing right now, uh, Dallas is going to be an interesting team um, uh, this season because he's such a hard guy to guard. And he is has a full NBA season under his belt, in which he demonstrated a lot of confidence. And I think this season he is really coming back to to make some noise. And I, I really look forward to watching. He's another guy I wasn't thinking about watching Dallas on my uh, on my uh, on my NBA uh, uh, league pass, but I, I think I'm going to dial in on that channel. I'm going to put that channel on favorites uh, and, and get over there and see him when he's playing. So those are some of the, some of the things that I'm I'm I'm, I'm looking at doing. It's early. I hate doing this because it's, it's only one week. But we're going to do it anyway, just to make it fun. we be in this segment uh, uh, on this aspect of, of of the cipher. Do either one of you have any early choices? Uh, I'll start with you, Hank, in terms of your rookie of the year or possible MVPs, people that you were probably thinking will be MVPs and they came out the gate strong and you think, okay, this, this person is going to be that MVP guy. Um, any 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 thoughts about those rookie of year choices or MVPs right now for you, Hank? Well, you know what this is uh, this is uh, a softball question right now, okay? Because you got to look at you got to look at the claw, okay? He's got something to prove after last year, and I look at him as being the MVP. You know, Kawhi Leonard, um, he's that type of player. He's that type of guy. So that would be my early MVP, and I and I and I do expect them. I'm, I'm with the young in here. I do expect something great from the Clippers this year. You know, they went all in, and I expect something great. You know what? Uh, a healthy Zion Williamson, okay. And I think the two names we talked about last year might be the two names we're talking about this year: Jay Morant and and, and Zion Williamson. Okay, if Zion plays anywhere like he did last year, you know, when he's healthy, you know, that that, that kid can be dominant, you know. And until further notice, like you say, it's, it's early. He hasn't played a, He hasn't played a, a minute. But I'm, I'm I'm going to stick with that right now because I think there's going to be so much um, surrounding him, 
And he does got game enough that's exciting enough that that, that I, I can see the media. I can see I can see them voting him in if he if he gets it in. But watch out for Jay Moran. Okay, we haven't talked a whole lot about him either, and see what's going on there. Um, uh, that's that's what I look at early. That's what I look at early. I just I just think Kawhi going to have that season. I just think that what he did with Toronto last year, I think that he's just he's going to be playing with that kind of fire uh, out, out in La La Land. So so we got one vote for Marlo Stansfield for MVP. Uh, <laughs> killer, <laughs> straight killer. Oh man, man, woo! He's killing him. All right, uh, uh, Youngin, who, who who do you have? Uh, are you have any, you have any early hits for a rookie of the year or uh, MVP? So rookie of the year, I don't know if my boy Zion is gonna play enough games to get to get votes. So um, I'm gonna go with the guy that you guys know that I'm very high on, on the North Carolina Kobe White, because Kobe White he can flat out go. Um, this is point guard. He reminds me a lot of um, one of my favorite players growing up, um, Gilbert Arenas. Not only is he an athlete that can um, – he's a big guard, first of all. He's about 6'4", six, 6'5". Six, he can run, and he can shoot. And he's going he's gonna to bring a problem for guards in the league because um, they not only do they have to deal with his range and his shooting that's coming along, but they have to um, deal with him driving past him. And him and Zach Levine – they might not win a lot of games, but him and Zach Levine are going to put up a lot of numbers. Like, he already dropped – he dropped over 20 points in both the games they played already. So, I think um, he's going to be a guy to look for, um, Kobe White. And MVP, I think it's between Kawhi and Giannis. Because um, Giannis, because he is the, um, he's the one star on his team. And um, I think he can um, put on a similar season to last year. And he's going to have the numbers that you can't deny, but um, Kawhi as well because if Kawhi, um, the, the the only way I think Kawhi wins is if they pull off like the Golden State type season where they win like a seventy games or something like that, and they just they just have such a high um, win total where you're just like, oh man, you got to give it to somebody on the Clippers, just like when Steph had the seventy three and nine season. So I think that can happen. That that very well could happen for the Clippers. But if they if they are, are like a number three seed or number two seed, I'll get. Oh, I think Giannis will get the um, get the nod. I, I think those are two good picks. But I, I think two other people will come into the conversation. Um, will be uh, I think Kyrie. I, I think Kyrie uh, with the storyline, Brooklyn, uh, and just if, if the way he looks. Uh, he's coming in the way he's jiving with that team. And if they can um, be somewhere in that top, you know, uh, four, and I just think, and the kind of numbers he might put up uh, to do that, I think he's going to be an interesting one that, you know, people aren't giving as much of a look. And then Luca, I think Luca, he's got a story, he's got a flair. Um, he presents a different kind of presentation. Uh, he, he brings you back to that feel of magic and bird in the way he plays, but he, he's athletic. He got he got something to him that I think is uh, going to be uh, uh, real. And he got Porzingis, so there's going to be a lot of give and go right there. Uh, I think Luke is a dark horse 
um, especially if his team outperforms expectations. I think he's someone who can get some consideration uh, as well. So it's early, though. We ain't going to get too caught up with this and go back. All right. Y'all sitting in the backyard. It's raining over there uh, where y'all at. Y'all know there's some lights on in the big uh, uh, building not too far from where y'all both live, the big house, uh, where I first uh, uh, did some concessions. I went with my early job as a youngster. We got Michigan and Notre Dame playing under the lights at the big house. It's probably no better scene. Probably probably LSU. Obviously, LSU at night is always great. Uh, uh, it, it, the horseshoe, there's a lot of good places, but the big house is one of those places. I guess I want to quickly hit, uh, before we get into the game, uh, you know, there's been a lot about the hardball debate, you know, there's questions this week about whether or not they're coming up with an extra strategy. He debunks that. He really was emphatic about that. Um, this is an interesting game because, you know, I think his counterpart on the other sidelines had some heat for a little bit um, until they actually got into that national championship game. Um, you know, is there something that, that Harbaugh can learn from Bryant uh, in terms of uh, how to handle the situation? Because he was in the seat, I would say, before they made that run, even though they got blown out. But the run gave him a little bit more space when Notre Dame went to the championship game or uh, went into the playoffs, um, they gave him a little bit of a, a, a you know, a reprieve at least. Hank, um, I know you, I, people talk about it all the time, like what's been your opinion about that? You know, has he failed? I mean, I look at this, they're 6-2. and two. My prediction I had, especially after this kid getting uh, the death threats, Bell, the governor, my prediction they're going to run the table. And it's crazy because uh, uh, our man on game day, who never likes to pick us on the headgear, uh, Michigan, uh, uh, said the same thing. I think there's some eerie that second half against Penn State and just the way in which folks are rallying, particularly players are rallying around what happened with the death threats, a lot of that stuff. I think that could be a galvanizing with this game being, you know. But having said that, has he, has he failed, I think, was the question. And is there anything he could do to kind of get that bounce back that he can learn from his counterpart across the sidelines? I'll get you go ahead. Listen, this, this is this, here's my take on it, and, and, and clearly, okay, I've been a Michigan fan for a long time, and I can say I've been a Michigan fan for a lot longer than Youngin's been alive. You know, and I've seen a lot of Michigan football. But here's the thing about Jim Harbaugh, the, 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 the certain simple question is, has he failed? No, he has not. He has not failed. Not at all. Not in the least. Okay? He has won ten ball games in, in, in three of his five seasons in Ann Arbor. Okay? Um, Joe Klatt and, um, and, um, and Colin Coward, you know, made a valid point. You know, Jim Harbaugh basically has brought this Michigan back to where they once were. And the fan base is asking him in five years to take them someplace that they've never been. And I had to think about that a minute, and I had to ponder that a minute. Okay? Michigan was its own worst enemy. Okay? They were their own worst enemy. They, after the Lloyd Carr era, okay, they chose to go with Rich Rodriguez, who was never accepted here. Then they didn't give him enough time to really see what he wanted to do because the, the alumni was living with him. Then they go with a coach who was clearly over his head in Brady Hope. So for seven years, they allowed themselves to be extremely mediocre, beyond what they ever were. 
Then you bring Jim Harbaugh back. He's first, his first job is to bring the brand back, okay, make Michigan relevant again, which he has done. Check that box. Then they're supposed to start to win again, go to bowl games. Check that box. Then he's supposed to compete for championships. He's done that. They've competed for the, the, the three years of the five he's been here. Okay, check that box. The other piece now is to win a championship. Now, the problem is is that the fan base, and then I see a lot of the media, has failed to realize that in the time that Michigan decided to crap their own pants, the Ohio State Buckeyes, you know, uh, replaced a coach in Jim Trussell that won a national championship with another coach in Urban Meyer that's also won national championships. People fail to realize that the first uh, uh, bowl, uh, the, the first playoff champion were the Ohio State Buckeyes. People fail to realize that. People also fail to realize that that team was coached by an urban legend, Urban Meyer. All right? So Michigan had all that going against them. And oh, by the way, since they decided to crack their pants, the, the Michigan State Spartans decided to rise up and also become that. And so did the Penn State Nittany Lions. Okay? Speaking of Penn State, James Franklin had the same issue until they won the Big Ten. They were ready to run him out of town. Jim Harbaugh has done what Jim Harbaugh was supposed to do in Ann Arbor. Okay? And Michigan is competing, and Michigan is is on the forefront. Their, their their program is right now, you know, doing very well as far as financials concerned. What he has to learn is the same thing that Dabble Sweeney had to learn. He had to do the same thing that Brian Kelly had to learn. He's got to find some consistency in his coaching staff. He's got to find some consistency in his scheme. Okay, uh, can you imagine if Dabble Sweeney had been fired after his first five seasons? There is no Clemson. Okay, Brian Kelly, they, they, they don't go to a national championship. Michigan fans, they don't want to hear it, but they're fickle. They've never been the Alabamas. They've never been this. They've been a very good program for a very long time. They fell off the table for seven years. Now they're acting this close to to uh, change that in five. It's not fair. I know it's, I know it's, it's, um, it's frustrating to see, but uh, they can do a lot worse than Jim Harbaugh. A lot worse than Jim Harbaugh, and they've proven that. So no, like I said, he hasn't failed. But but nor do I think he should be going anywhere either. And nor do I think he wants to. Yeah, and I think you made some really interesting points about you know one of the things that Harbaugh has to learn is is not only stabilizing his assistant coaches but letting them be. Uh, we today we saw an example of that. Uh, you got Larry Johnson, who was probably the best defensive line coach in the country at Ohio State. And his imprint is on it. And you can tell that people like Urban Meyer did not mess with him, that he, he has a way in which he's going to work with that group. And in college football, you got to dominate on those two sides of the ball. And, and preferably, you've got, to have a, you've got to have a dominant defensive front. And so you've got to have assistant coaches who, who are very involved in the recruitment process and identifying the talent, right? They are critical. The assistant coaches and position coaches are the first lines of contact and then the head coach gets involved, but they got to do the they got to do the evaluation, and but they got to know they got some autonomy as well to be able to do that, and that's a part where I think you're hearing rumblings in Ann Arbor between the, the coaching staff because there's a certain point, and I think Saban's learning this, and he's won championships. There's a certain point where you have to you don't hire these great coaches not to coach. You'll bring them in some cases, some of them former head coaches, 
And so to what extent do you allow them to help you so that you can then allow your energy to be the person who's the psychologist for your quarterback, who knows how to touch that kid who needs your attention, can deal with the media. Like you are CEO, and like, so you can't micromanage everything. Um, you got to help. They got to help you find the innovation ways that you can adjust. And you can tell these great teams have that. They have the great coordinators. They have the great position coaches to go along with a, a great head coach. So I think you made some key points, and some of those points I think haven't been made. But patience is a hard thing today, and I think they find that out in Ann Arbor. I think your point about Dabo Sweeney is Sweeney is right on. They were trying to get him out in his first five six years. You look at, at his stuff, and the fact that they stay with him, they've benefited. So I think that's an important point. I want to I want to move to the game. Um, I'll start with you. I'll start with you, uh, uh, Darnell. What, what are some of the keys to victories for both teams tonight, in your mind? So we're talking Michigan and Notre Dame. So the keys to victory are keys to victory to every single football game. You're going to get sick and tired of me saying this every single week. The team that wins the line of scrimmage is going to win the game. So if Michigan can beat Michigan. And they can run the ball, they can stop the run, they can limit turnovers, and Shea Patterson can um, throw more accurately than he has usually been. It's rainy out today, so I don't know if he's going to be that accurate because um, the ball is probably going to be slippery. So that's one thing you have to think about. But um, but that, those are the keys to the game. Um, Notre Dame, they proved that they have a pretty good defense. But they hung in there with Georgia. So, um uh, they've proven that they're they're a pretty good football team, and um, so uh, I don't know who's gonna win the game, but that, those are the keys to the game. So um, that's that's what I'm going with. All right, Hank. Listen, uh, you brought up Georgia, okay? Now, one coach that should be on the hot seat but won't be is Kirby Smart. Uh, Kirby ain't so smart to me. I, I'm just going to go here for a quick second. I have seen this coach and some of his conservative play calling, you know, cost this team a national championship, cost this team a chance to go back to a national championship, and cost this team a, a game uh, a couple of weeks ago. They should not have lost, okay, against South Carolina. So to say – so I can't use Georgia as a gauge. To say that uh, they, they got a de- good defense, Notre Dame, they do. The key to this game, though, in my opinion, is how Michigan responds, you know, uh, after last week. They're back at home, which they are a different team in Ann Arbor. They have shown it under hardball that they are a different team, and especially at night. Um, And I was encouraged by what I saw with the offense in the second half of their ball game. All right? and, and the, the, but the key, I'm with, I'm with Young in here, you know, with with the with the line of scrimmage. But really, the key is turnovers. It's going to be wet tonight. It's going to be cold. Okay, the team with the least amount of turnovers right now is going to win this football game. Because um, the, the weather is, is the great equalizer here. You know, it's like they, there could be some great plays down the field and everything like that, but a slip here, a drop there, and all of a sudden it's going to turn on a dime. I'm looking forward to it. I really do hope Michigan come out and win this game, you know, just for their psyche and just for the fact of, you know, um, 
that 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 they they're, they're going to, they're trending in the right direction. I know last week was a heartbreaker and it was tough on Ronnie Bell, and it was unfortunate. We haven't talked about this yet, but it's unfortunate that our fandom gets so out of place and so misplaced to understand it. You got 19, 20, 21, 22 year old young men that's playing the game, and somebody loses their mind to the point to go and put something out there simply because imagine how he feels already. You know, he drops a pass. He already knows he catches that pass that's right in his bread basket. It's going to tie the game. He drops it. And then some idiot goes out there and gives a death threat simply because he lost a football game. You know, get over yourself. That's the one thing that I'm really kind of getting frustrated with the fan base here in Ann Arbor. Be cool and enjoy the game. Okay, know who you are and, 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 and root the team on. But when it gets to the point where it gets that personal, it's ridiculous, but but for game analysis, with the weather being such a factor, you know it's going to be a turnover. The turnover, the team with the least amount of turnovers, and the team that can convert turnovers will be the team that wins this game. Clearly, you know who I'm going with. Go blue. All right, I think you both hit some good points around turnovers and um, the line of scrimmage. You know, as a defensive lineman, former defensive lineman. Uh, you know, and, and someone who played football, I think all of us are going to say, like, you live within the line of scrimmage, uh, uh, there's so many more things you can do. And it says a lot about it takes a psychological toll on you. I think the other thing that uh, goes beyond it, I think Brian Kelly's done more than Jim in these games, is the team that's not afraid to take the moment. If you, if you can be good and do all the things y'all just said. But if you're going to be great, you have to know when to take the moment. And it's especially important in weather conditions like this. When your your psyche has you being conservative because you don't want to turn the ball over, you don't want to do these things, are you playing to win or are you playing not to lose? And I felt like last year when Michigan played uh, in South Bend, they played not to lose. First, fourth, and one early in the game, you have Shea Patterson, a highly talented quarterback, and you hand it to the fullback and get stuff. It's at the heart of the strength of the Notre Dame defense. And then I look at Notre Dame. You know, they have been running the football at that time, but they went to the – they saw they had an advantage with six, four receivers. And they were throwing back shoulder thrusts. <laughs> they were, they were. You thought, you thought they was, uh, you thought they was uh, uh, Oklahoma. They, they, they let the circumstances dictate that they were going in a different direction. I think that's what's going to come down. The weather is, the weather can make cowards of all of us in football, but the ones who want to win will take a chance. And the team that does all the things y'all said, but understands when the moment presents itself. They're going to go for it is the team that's going to win tonight. All right, guys, it was a great game today, and I think this is the final point before we end the Cypher uh, segment tonight. I think, I think it's Darnell who put this out here. And he opened up his, when, we, when he came on the show uh, 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 talking about Chase Young. And there's a lot of buzz about this young man possibly being a Heisman Trophy winner. I want maybe both of you, and I'll start with you, Darnell, since this was the one that you put into the rundown. You know, what are the conditions for a defensive lineman? We've seen, you know, a person like Woodson who played basically both ways. So his offensive 
contributions. Uh, I think uh, even though he was, I would think, the top defensive player in the country that year, his offensive contributions, I think, added a piece to it. Um, and they were really intentional about getting him on offense to build a case for the Heisman. But a pure defensive lineman getting in, what, what, are, what are the conditions? Of what, if you were making a case for this young man, why would you say that, you know, he should be the Heisman Trophy winner? Well, if I was making a case for Trace Young, I'd say, well, in my opinion, I believe he is without a doubt the best player in the, in the sport of college football right now. His, the way he dominates the game, um, I think he's the best player in the game. But um, I know it's going to be hard to argue for him because, you know, it's a, um, it, the Heisman Trophy has been pretty much the quarterback and running back award and they don't necessarily take into account who's the best player. It's, you know, who has the biggest story and who might have the most impact on their team. So I remember back when Dominican Sue was in the Heisman Heisman Trophy um, race, and I was and I was thinking he should have won the award because he was. I thought he was the best player in the country that year. And um, the impact that he had on the game, especially the Texas game where he um, – Almost single-handedly brought Nebraska to a um, big, big 12 championship, and um, he had Cobra Coy seeing ghosts that night. But um, I don't think it's going to happen. But it's something I have to bring up because I think he deserves it. Yeah, I, I would say he's probably. I mean, I think he might be. Uh, you know, given that um, the, the struggles that you know, you, um, I don't. You know. You see what's happening with Jonathan Taylor. I think he's falling off uh, a, a little bit uh, because of these losses that just happened. Uh, you know, so he's a leading candidate. Uh, you, you got Joe Football is probably the leading one. Uh, Tua's been hurt. Uh, Oklahoma uh, losing today uh, hurts. Uh, hurts. Uh, and so yeah, I think it opens up a door for him on probably, you know, a team that probably will be number one uh, when everything comes out. Uh, in terms of the votes with the, um, for the playoffs um, in the way in which he's dominating uh, uh, plays. You know, if I, was, if I was Ohio State, I might, I might even uh, see if I could sneak him on tight end on goal line or something, give him a touchdown. Something, you know, just add, add a little offensive move to his game uh, to, to round out his, his, uh, his, uh, his resume for it. But, yeah, I think in a long time, he's about the closest I've seen from a defensive lineman that you could just make the case um, – uh, that you, you got to strongly consider it. Hank, what, what do you think are the conditions? And do you think? Well, see, here's the problem for for Chase Young. Okay, um, the problem is his own teammate. Okay, Justin Fields has come out the blue. All right, the problem is the fact that um, when you go and you look at the Heisman Trophy, okay, it is slowly. It's not even slowly. It has become a quarterback trophy. Okay, it's become a quarterback's award. For him to win it, he can't simply play defensive end. Okay, and when when Charles Woodard won, not only did he play offense, he also played, he played all three phases of the game. Okay, he dominated all three phases of the game. He was able to play on offense and make and make pass make catches. He's able to run punt returns and kickoff returns. In fact, in the biggest stage he had one against Ohio State. We know about that one. Okay, Chase Young just dropping him in on tight end every now and then. It's not going to be enough. Several years ago, there was a player 
that played for the University of Pittsburgh, Hugh Green. I don't know if you remember him. He was also one of those kind of players that was probably the best player in college football, but he played on the defensive line. Okay, you can make a case for several players in that regard that played on the defensive line that that simply uh, could have been Heisman candidates or should have been Heisman candidates. I think about Indominus Sue when he was at Nebraska, clearly the most dominant lineman you ever want to see. All right, uh, Samuels, I think that was with uh, Alabama several years ago, just a physical specimen. The problem is again when you're playing across the defensive line. Okay, it's it's um. Unfortunately, it just just you know it's you you, you just don't get a whole lot of, of folks going for you there. So that's the unfortunate piece there for him. But but clearly a, a physical specimen. But it, it's going to be really tough for any defensive lineman uh, to to even get get a sniff. And I would say the offensive player that probably has to work well on his team is probably uh, 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 J.K. Dobbins, right? Uh, uh, because uh, Dobbins, so you know he had 163 yeah. yards and two touchdowns. So uh, he may be making his way uh, into into the conversation. Well, hey y'all, this has been a great show. It's been fun to get back here and move in, into the into the mix with y'all. But you know, it's time. It's time to drop the mic. Okay, thank you. Listen, you know, we started the show tonight. We talked a little bit about the World Series. We talked about two teams that um, not necessarily what you would call uh, classic teams in Houston. And in the Nationals, you know, the Nationals once upon a time was the Washington Senators. Uh, then they moved to Minnesota. Then they were the Washington Senators again. Then they moved to Texas. Or, and so now they're, they're the Washington Nationals. But I want to talk a little bit about the World Series that never was. You heard me right. The World Series that never was. Back in 1994, baseball did the unthinkable. They did the unfathomable. They did something that you never see any sport do, and they canceled their championship series. You might think to yourself, how in the world can this happen? How can you have the NFL without the Super Bowl? How can you have the NBA without the finals? How can you have hockey without the Stanley Cup? But, yes, baseball did that, a professional uh, sports league canceled their championship series. Why? Because of civil unrest, because of labor unrest, because they they had a a player strike that lasted long enough that they could not resolve, and they canceled the World Series. What's so sad about that is because we might have seen something that series that we might have never seen before. The Montreal Expos was still part of the major leagues back then. The Montreal Expos had the best record in baseball that year. The Montreal Expos would have made it to the playoffs that year. They would have been uh, the team, they, they would have been favored to win the World Series that year. There was a player that a lot of youngsters don't know about that played with the San Diego Padres that, that year, name of Tony Gwynn. Tony Green had a 3.94 batting average that year. He would have probably been the first player since Ted Williams to hit for 400 had the season continued. That would have been the first year of the wild card for baseball. And the wild card players would have been the Cleveland Indians and the Atlanta Braves. And we missed out on all of that. Why? Because baseball did the unthinkable. They did the unfathomable. They did the unspeakable, and they canceled the World 
and they took the players who, who did what, you know, and they had their MVP, and they had the rookie of the year, and they had all that stuff, blah, 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 blah. That's great. That's wonderful. That's beautiful. But the season will always be the seasons of what-ifs because it's the first season post-war era that a professional sports league did not finish the season with a champion. It all happened 15, I'm sorry, 25 years ago in 1994. Baseball canceled the World Series. We're going to leave you with that. We'll peace out. We'll talk to you next time. This thing right here is for my people's in the streets. Yes, yes, today. Yes, yes, today. You know, as we start this show, this one might be. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.